Welcome to Demand Does the Six Questions, where the same six questions can tell a unique story. I am your host, Demond, father of two, husband of one, and leader of this here Demondcast. My next guest is from Brown County, Indiana. He's a noted proponent of the fingerstyle guitar. His band's latest album, Dance Songs for Hard Times, was written by Candlelight using 1950s technology. He's a Kentucky colonel and Indiana legend and leader of Reverend Peyton's big damn band. Give it up for Rip Peyton! How's everybody doing out there? It's good to be here with you. Having a good time already, brother. Yay! After we had some technical difficulties that we will not talk about, we will not speak of again. <laughs> yeah, it happens, man. That's all right. <laughs> How are you doing? Oh man, I'm doing great. Just been busy. I've been today. I have been uh, on the phone from the time I got up till the time like I'm talking to you right now, and it's uh, fairly late in the day now for for us actually when we're recording this. And it's funny, man. Not to harp on or give you a hard time anymore, but. Uh, not a single thing that I've had going on today has started on time. So don't feel too bad. <laughs> I mean, literally, every single thing I've done has been a half hour. Too. Everybody's been a half hour, an hour late. And every time I've been like, oh, my God, it's going to go on into the next thing. Like, how is this going to work? And then, like, somehow, every single SOB I have talked to today has been running late. So you're, it's all good. It, it's, it, you, it, 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 it was no big deal. I've been... I've, I've just been a day. I think it was me. I think I brought some kind of bad luck. <laughs> uh, it was crazy. To be honest, it was a crazy day. It sounds like it. Um, to be honest, I'm kind of glad it wasn't just me, but I also feel bad <laughs> for you because you've been on the phone all day. Well, it, it's it's weird, you know. That's that's kind of the deal now, you know. And I've been actually uh, the the funny thing is, man, as I told you, I've had. A lot of podcasts I've been doing, you know, because now there's so many people that have podcasts that uh, it's sort of how you get the word out, you know. You know, one time it was all print media, and then the print media started to kind of go away, and it changed so drastically that it very so rarely talks about music. Then it was blogs, you know. I mean, right. ten years ago it was blogs. Everybody's got a blog, man. You know, the blogs were what what how you got the word out about your new record, and now it's podcasts. So. I just try to be like Bruce Lee, man. I want to be like water. Wherever it is, that's what I'm going to do, you know? Right on. Just, just staying flexible and uh, keeping it pushing, huh? That's right, man. That's what you got to do. Because it's going to, you know, all that stuff's going to change. Never in the history of humanity have, has, have things changed so rapidly. You can lament it all you want. You can be sad. You can, you can be bummed about it. Uh, but it's not going to change anything. So you just have to kind of, in, in our modern age, man, we have to we have to figure it out. You know, we have to learn how to how to just sort of go with it. You know, because otherwise, man, you know, you'll it, it'll it'll beat you down. You know, you can't let that happen. It seems like change is almost constant these days. Like technology is just upgrading it rapid pace uh the what like you said i didn't even think about the way um but yeah blogs and now podcasts and who knows what it'll be ne uh next so there's a lot of things going on it's 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 wild it's wild man i mean artificial intelligence is is, is uh has been driving the train for the last 10 years people don't realize all the things that it, it is controlling and that is going to be rapidly changing everything the world's going to be unrecognizable in 10 years. Uh, and you know, mark my words, uh, cars are already driving themselves. People say, I wouldn't get a car that drives itself, but, well, it's too late. That's already happened. And, you know, planes have been driving themselves since the 60s. You know, once this artificial intelligence is in every car and they're all driving themselves, they, they won't be able to hit each other because they'll be talking to each other. And we'll just get in our car and we'll poke our phone and while it takes us wherever we're going to go. You know, enter it in, you know, put it in Google Maps, but instead of uh, following Google Maps, it'll just follow Google Maps and it'll know all of those things. And you're going to see that change everything. You know, you're going to have automation at uh, every place where there had been a service worker in terms of everything, restaurants, bars, you know, you'll order on a screen and there might be one or two people back there, but that'd be, that'll be it. You know, you're going to get in a cab and the cab may not even have anybody in it. 
Like, that sounds like science fiction, you know? Like, if you said that to someone even five years ago, they might have went, oh, that's crazy. But it's all here now, you know? I'm, I'm lucky enough, I got friends all over the, the world in all kinds of different industries, you know? And they're telling me right now, they're like, man, there is no stopping it, brother. It's coming. There ain't nothing you can do about it, so you might as well just either get with the program or get run over by it, you know? So it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it pans out. I'm very curious. Do you remember the movie Free Jack? Free Jack, man. I, I do remember that movie. I, I'm trying to remember what, what it was about. Honestly, don't remember. I remember Mick Jagger and I think Emilio Estevez was in it. But the thing that struck me, and it's really the only thing I could see from the movie, is uh-huh. that they talked to they. It was it was a mid '80s movie. I'm, I I want to say, but I'm not gonna look it up right now because you've had enough time taken away from me today. Um, <laughs> It, it, but I think I want to say it was the mid '80s. It was a mid '80s movie, and they were talking to each other on screens, like like we uh-huh. do now. And it, it like every time I look at Zoom or you know what, like we were using a program earlier that I'm gonna get rid of, but I'm, so I'm not gonna mention their name by uh, mention their company's name. Um, <laughs> uh, it's 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 crazy that you know when we were kids, this was science fiction. Now my kids are like it's it's normal to them. It's it's wild. Yeah, it's just what is, you know. I a funny thing. Uh, I someone told me their their kid asked like, "Why do you say hang up the phone when you turn the phone off?" We're talking to someone. You know, <laughs> they didn't. I never hung up the phone. Like hung it, put on back. You know, up, up on the receiver. And I was like, "Oh my goodness, that's crazy!" Hell, I love Star Trek Next Generation. All right, that's one of the things I nerd out on. I love Star Trek Next Gen. I think it's one of the best television shows of all time. I just absolutely love it. And you know, in that show there's like some of the, the tech that they do, right? Like, so, so first, like one is their tricorder. They have this little machine they carry around that can do everything. And when I was a kid, I thought, well, you know, that's kind of silly. How can this little thing they carry around do everything? But now we have our phone in our pocket and it can tune guitars. You can make phone calls to anyone in the world, video style. I mean, it's unbelievable all the things that your phone can do. It's like that tricorder. Who knows where it will be in, in, in another 200 years. And then the, the things like, um, the replicator, you know, I thought, oh, replicator is a silly thing. Well, now, man, these 3D printers, it's, it's very similar to a replicator. Like you, the, the tech for a 3D printer, as far as plastic goes, you could be printing stuff in your house right now for really cheap. Any plastic toy, any kind of plastic things, there's, a, there's all kinds of tutorials on the Internet about it. And I've got a buddy that has access to a, a metal 3D printer. And you can 3D print anything. You could be 3D printing guns, all kinds of stuff. And these things aren't that expensive. We're not, not really. They're, they're tens of thousands of dollars for the metal printer. But it's just 200 bucks for a little plastic 3D printer. You can get one, a big one, for a thousand. Well, you think about all of the, the, the convenience of like having a machine in your house that prints anything you want, any car part, any toy, anything. You know, I mean, it's, it's absolutely endless. So you think to yourself, like, Let's say you, the these 3D printers, the ones that print metal, let's say they are tens of thousands. Well, eventually they'll just be thousands. Well, what would you pay to be able to print a car part whenever you want? What would you pay to be able to print anything, you know? Whoo! Wow, that's crazy. crazy. That's crazy. And it's going to replace, like, the, like all, these, all these factories and things that make things. Are, they're going to be unnecessary because people will just print what they need in their house. I mean, it's it's crazy what's coming, and it, and and the thing is, it's not science fiction. Like it's a, it's here. There are people who already have this stuff. You know, if you've got a Tesla, it already drives itself. You know, they tell you, oh, you're not really supposed to let it drive you. You know, you're supposed to kind of like you know, be paying attention, but they don't. Everyone everyone has a Tesla sits in their car and they poke their phone. It's already happening. They're already driving themselves. And I've got a buddy that has one, and he can call it to himself with his keys. So like he presses a button and the thing drives and picks him up at the door. Like he'll go inside Home Depot, go get, you know, a hammer or something and press the button when he's done. And then the car comes and picks him up the curb. He gets in it, it enters him, presses home. The thing just drives him back home. Isn't that crazy? That is insane. That's the thing is I talk to people about this stuff. They're like, oh, I don't it's like, man, it's already here. Like you can, you can be, you can be sad about it. You know, it's like John Henry, you know, them guys were singing about John Henry because they were sad about that steam drill coming and putting out all them guys out of jobs. But it's like, man, you know, now no one even thinks they're the, the last people that actually swung a hammer at a, at a guy holding a, a hand drill for him. 
You know, they, they've long since been gone, you know, now it's just, it's just a, a, a it's not even a steam drill. It's a, it's probably a hydraulic drill now, you know, it's something else. It's, it's diesel powered now. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Before we get into the six questions, all right, let's talk about your album. <laughs> let's talk okay, about why you're sounds here. Good. Sounds good, buddy. Well, I, I, so I'll tell you here a couple of cool things. First off, it's uh, in the top 10 on uh, Sirius X in Bluesville. That's awesome. It's number three uh, most added at uh, College Radio this last week. Number five most streamed at College Radio this last week. Starting to get some AAA ads on, uh, on AAA Radio, uh, which is like adult contemporary. And that's and the record's not out. You know, it, it, it comes out uh, tomorrow. And I'm not sure when this uh, podcast is going to go up, but for it, probably when people hear it, it'll, it'll, it'll be up. But uh, at the time of the recording, it's, uh, it's, it's not quite out yet. You know, some of these numbers and things until later, later next week or the next week. But I can tell you, man, that it's the best record we've ever made. And it's not just me saying that. It's every single person that has heard it. All the reviews say that it's really been special, you know. And the crazy thing is, is we, we made this thing in the midst of, of this pandemic. Most of the songs I wrote this one period of time, and, and you know this, but a lot of people don't know that, you know, March of last year, I got sick on March 3rd, and then everybody else was sick by March 11th of 2020. Uh, March 11th was when we had to close up shop, head home. That was the last show in Chicago. The next day after getting home, we took Breezy to the hospital. She was uh, sick on and off for three weeks, uh, 102 temperature for three weeks on and off. I, I didn't tell people because, A, I didn't want people to panic, and, B, because we couldn't get uh, tested in Indiana because at the time they didn't have you – know, they had enough tests, you know what I mean? They were unreliable tests, too, the ones they had. So the doctor said told, – told Breezy she should assume that she has a coronavirus. Well, they did some tests that she had blood clots. She had scarring in her lungs. In fact, she went back in November, and uh, they said that she's going to have scarring on her lungs forever. It was a very scary time. You know, I was very scared about Breezy. You just didn't know what was going to happen with people, you know, and, and, and here she is. She's a, a healthy uh, young adult that is suddenly won't get well, like it was frightening. And like earlier today, our power was out. The power always goes out in Brown County all the time. This is something that happens constantly, and it, it's a it's just part of living in rural America. You know, the power goes out a lot. For, it rains, wind blows, you know, so many trees and things. Well, between March and April, I don't know the exact dates of it, but it was a period of time when, you know, during that time when Breezy was sick and everything shut down. I didn't know if there was going to be toilet paper pirates running around. I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> but the power, the power was out for like three days, four, going on four or something like that. We're just sitting around here trying to keep the food from spoiling. I'm trying to keep myself from just going insane. And I, I'm, I'm just writing all this music, man. The music is pouring out of me. And people probably think this happens all the time, but Breezy started feeling a little bit better one day. And like, she got up for a minute and I said, Hey, let me play you some songs. I've been working on these songs the last couple of days. I'm going to play you some songs. So like we're sitting around in our, in, in the cabin. For people who don't know, we live in, a, in an 1850s uh, log cabin in the, in the Southern Indiana Hills. And we're sitting by a candlelight and I've got this hurricane lamp that uh, was going, you know, so by this like fire, like the fire from the hurricane lamp and the candles and, and, uh, and I, I played Breezy some songs. And like, I, like I said, I almost never do that. It, if you'll think we, I, 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 we sit around here, but it's not really what happens. I like to write songs by myself and then I bring them to the band when they're finished. You know what I mean? I, I don't play Breezy a lot of songs. I mean, she listens to me play guitar all the time. Don't get me wrong, but it's not like, Hey, let me play you a concert. You know, she more like listens to me practicing in the other room, you know? So, I'm playing her these songs, and she's like, these are the best songs you've ever written. She's usually, you know, not so fast with compliments like that for whatever reason. <laughs> <laughs> she's your wife. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but she, you know, she, 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 she likes them. She's impressed. And I just started whittling them down and, and into, into the finished pieces, and we were like, we've got to go in and record these. You know, we had planned on making a record this year. And it just, it was like, it has to happen. So we had to, you know, go through a lot of hoops, jump through a lot of hoops with, uh, you know, coronavirus restrictions and things like that to, to get this record made and to get the videos made. But we did everything by the book. We did everything as safe as we possibly could, everything right. And at, at the end of the day, you know, it, it's, it's going to be interesting because it's a, it's a very, 
it's like a, it's going to be a little bit of a time capsule for us, but but the record sounds so timeless that I don't think it's going to necessarily, you know, like in ten years, I don't think people are going to listen to this record and think, oh, well, that had to been happened during the, the, the you know coronavirus shutdowns. I don't think that that's the way people will think, but it will, in my mind, always sort of, you know, I'll always remember when these songs were written and how they were recorded. You know. It'll be easy to remember the, the year of this one. You know, so some records, it's like, what year was that? Record that. This one we'll remember. Yeah, absolutely. You had a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And what was the title again? Dance Songs for Hard Times. That you know, was, was kind of my working title, right? So I, I was, as we're doing this, I'm going, you know, like, I want these songs. Like, remember, these are dance songs for hard times. So, like, all these songs got to dance. But, like, you know, I, I, I kind of had a theme running through it. And then... Then when it was all said and done, I was like, man, this is my working title. What? This ought to be the title of the record. Like, that's what, that's what I've been calling it. You know, like, that's what it should be. You know, so that's, that's why we went with that. All right, my good man, Reverend Peyton. Are you ready to answer the six questions? I am. I think so. Question number one. When did you discover your love of music? Okay, well, I think I've always loved music, right? But music always seemed like a thing that was, you know, as far as like an actual uh, a talent, a profession, um, it seemed like it was almost unattainable, right? That was for people that were, you know, magical or something, right? <laughs> and when I was 12 years old, my dad says to me, we're going to go get a guitar later. We're going to go buy one, bring one home. And I said, you know, that's how much a smart ass I was. I literally said to him, I go, you don't know how to play and you can't afford one. <laughs> and <Wow>. he said, <laughs> and my dad, he's such a smart ass, you know, he's, he's used to it. He's like, I can play and I can afford one. You'll see. <laughs> so we went and, uh, and, and we got, so we, we got the cheapest damn guitar you can possibly get. It was a K brand called, it's got a K Stadiar. It was, and it, so it's an electric guitar with no amp. So we get this electric guitar with no amp. The strings were, you know, like an inch off the fretboard. They're real hard to play, heavy. You know, this thing's crazy. We run home, and my dad starts banging away all these chords and things. He's playing all these old songs, a couple little, like, blues runs, classic songs from, like, the 60s, you know. And I was just floored. I'm like, what? Like, I couldn't believe that he knew how to play some of these songs, you know? It just absolutely, it was it was unbelievable. It was like, it was like, it was like I, I, I didn't know who he was, you know? <laughs> and it turns out that he had sold his guitar when I was born because he needed the money. Wow. And, you know, he taught me everything that he knew and it didn't take long. But I just loved it. And he told me, he said, if you get, you practice and get good, we'll get Nance. So it was two months. I mean, I, I had, I had been playing for two months and he's like, we got to get you an amp. And it was a, it, I'll never forget. So it was a, 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 like a $25 amp. It's a, it's a, it's called a gorilla amp. People that know, you know, anything about instruments, they'll know that a K, like a, like a, you know, I'm talking like an 80s K plugged into a gorilla amp is about as cheap a setup as you can possibly have. But man, I just absolutely loved it. And I played the thing. I wore it out, man. And, you know, my dad was always uh, like, like super supportive, like, like there'd be some old guys rehearsing in a barn and I'd be like, dad, I want to go watch these old guys play in this barn. Okay, let's go. I remember when I was like 13 years old, David Honeyboy Edwards was playing at a bingo hall in Indianapolis. I'm like, dad, can we go see David Honeyboy Edwards? And he took me to this bingo hall to go see David Honeyboy Edwards play. And my, my dad was an athlete growing up, you know, I mean, he's not a big guy, but he was an athlete. He was a, he's only like, I think five, six or something and he he was uh he started his freshman year varsity basketball you know what i mean like he's just a that's just an absolute athlete and i was born folded in half it's a type of breach that breach baby where you're not you know you're supposed to be head first but i wasn't feet first i was butt first because i was so folded in half and it was a situation where i probably should have been put in some kind of leg braces but they just said oh he'll straighten out and then when I was six years old, I went to the doctor about it because I walked so funny. And the doctor had me walk in my underwear. I'll never forget. I had like Superman's on my underwear or something. You know what I mean? Some kind of superhero. 
and him and two nurses watched me walk in my underwear in the hallway and I was just so embarrassed, you know, and I get back in the room and the doctor said to my mom and me, he like looks at me and he said, son, you're never going to win any race. So, you know, he told me right then, I guess that I was different and uh, that I couldn't run. Well, when I got to school and you have to run at, in, you know, PE or, or anything, I just refused, you know, because I ran funny. I waddled and kids made fun of me. So now when I walk, like you can't tell, you know, and I can even run straight now, but it's through years of myself just demanding it and, you know, strength training and everything else. You know, when I was a kid, they just told me that I, I was never going to be right. Now they would say, hey, we're going to get you in some physical therapy. They probably would put me in braces when I was younger, you know, some kind of leg braces to straighten myself out. They're, they're, they do things way different now, you know. But then they were just like, hey, you're disabled and it's the way it is. So, you know, go home. So because of that, I felt like my dad and I didn't just – it wasn't like we, we didn't get along. We always got along necessarily, but we, we just didn't have a connection. You know what I mean? I think he thought I was an alien. You know, I'm this weird kid that doesn't want to play sports. You know, that seemed like an alien to him. But as soon as I got that guitar, man, it was like, I always say like this, because I think it's the, the, the best way to describe it. It was like someone, like, you know, when you take a fish out of water, right? And that fish is it's floppy and stupid looking. And you're like, look at that dumb fish flopping on the ground. But when you put it in the water, the way it moves is like magic. And it's like, oh, my God, look at how that thing moves through the water. And you and you you know you and I we get in, in some water and then we're 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 like the fish out of water we're splashing you know dopey around trying to move when we when we swim through the water we splash and make all kinds of commotion and that fish gets in the water man and it's a silent beautiful thing just moves like magic through the water and that's what it was like when someone handed me a guitar I felt like this is what I was supposed to do my whole life so that was when I not just fell in love with music but felt like I. I had it in me to, to, to create music. You know what I mean? That it wasn't beyond me. And seeing my dad bang out some chords that first night, that, that really, that said, it's like, man, this is, this is amazing. Question number two. What do you wish you had known when you first started out? Man, I could probably write a book on that. <laughs> um, I tell you what. One thing I wish I'd known when we first started out was that one that you, I'm, I'm going to say a couple things. One that you can't trust anybody in the music business hardly. <laughs> That's like first day. You should know that. But it's, it is the God's honest truth. And it doesn't have to mean everybody's bad. It just means that like they're, they're kind of out for themselves. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that part is very tough. And, but the other side of the same coin, and that is, believe in yourself right like i wish that i had been like hey kid believe in yourself just because some guy is telling you to do it if you know in your heart that it's the wrong thing then don't do it you know there is several times in uh, the way records were recorded the way things were done decisions that were made by labels and stuff for us that i knew in my heart wasn't right but there was some guy who was older and had some pedigree that was like man, you got to do this. That's what, da, 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 da. And I want to be like, I should have been like, nope, you've got no idea because you're out of touch or whatever. You know, I should have trusted myself. And that, that doesn't mean like, you know, I, I'm not saying like, don't listen to advice from, from old guys that are old gals that have been around and know the deal, right? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that if you know in your heart, artistically, that something is the way to go, then that's what you should do. When... Um, do you have a specific instance where you where you realized that lesson and it was on from there, or is this just a gradual thing? It just kind of you realized it one day. Man, it can, it can go back. You can go back through like you know the way certain records were kind of recorded and the way things were done. You can talk about like which songs were released as singles by different labels we've been on. You know, instead of the song I thought was the best song, they did another one. Um, uh. You know, things like that, you know, they're, they're not like massive. Like I never let anybody, you know, like rewrite a song for me or something like that. I, I would, I've always been way too obtuse for that, <laughs> but the, uh, but like just little things like that, man, they add up though. They make it, they make a big difference, right? I'm trying to think of a real good example. I, I, some of the examples uh, would, would be offensive to the person that I, I, I listen to their, their advice instead of taking my own, 
some of the people like I don't dislike them. You know what I mean? I just had more faith in them than I should have had. Does that make sense? Yes. Just means that not everybody knows everything about you. You know what I mean? Like no one is going to be as good a Reverend Peyton as me. Like they could try all day long. They could spend the next thousand years and they're not going to be as good a Reverend Peyton as me. But that, but, but I mean, I'm never going to be as good a Sunhouse as Sunhouse was. So I can't try. All I can be is, is Reverend Peyton, you know? And that's, that's what I'm kind of driving is like, you've got to figure out who you are and then do that. You know, you've got to figure out who you are and, and, and do that, be that person, you know? And, and, and like, if your heart, your heart of hearts, if you know, like, man, this is not what we should be doing. I, I know because this is what I would do. And, and you know, that, that's, you know, it's just really almost as simple as that, you know, especially as an artist, you know, if you've got an artist and you've got a vision, you've got a, you know, a plan, you've got, you know, like a, some kind of focused energy that you're trying to get out, then you've got to go after that. You've got to chase that down. And, and because no one's going to understand it, you know, at the beginning of what we did, man, I, I mean, I had people when I was first, we were first starting out, they'd go, no one's going to listen to that kind of blues. People want to hear Stevie Ray Vaughan. They want to hear that kind of stuff. And I'm not knocking Stevie Ray Vaughan, but that ain't what I do. You know what I mean? It's like I never did. I love the old, old stuff. I love the pre-war country blues. I love the, the beginning, the roots blues, the start, the, the, the core, the, the early stuff. And I wanted to take myself and build up from there, you know, and take fingerstyle country blues guitar and do things with it that other people hadn't done. That's been my whole focus. And, you know, sometimes that's led me down some weird paths, <laughs> but you know, at the, at the same time, the way I, I see it is, it's like, if this music is to live, like it, it, it can't live just in museums, you know, it has to be like a lot a living, breathing music. And I think it actually does more justice to the pioneers, you know, the people that, uh, that were at, at the at the beginning, who are now moving into almost the historical. I think it does them more justice to make good music now that people want to listen to, than to just cover their music and and butcher it. You know, like I think it's better. You know, it's better for me to make music people want to hear, and then I I can say in a, in a you know talking to someone like you, I can talk about my influences. So people like Charlie Patton, and Fucka White, and Sunhouse, and Robert Johnson, and and Mississippi John Hurt, you know, it's better than if I just made a, a you know, always records of covers of those songs. And then, uh, it, 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 but then no one cares because no one's going to do a Sunhouse song like Sunhouse did anyway. So it doesn't get any attention. And Sunhouse is still relegated to history instead of influencing music that's alive today. <laughs> Question number three. What is your go-to order at your favorite hometown restaurant? And I know you guys travel all over the place, so however you want to answer this question, feel free. All right, so I have been to 38 countries. Wow. I have eaten at some of the most impressive places. I've eaten at castles in the south of France, served by butlers and amongst royalty. I have... Once was served a, a private meal at the uh, most famous restaurant in in Parma, Italy, where they where Parmesan cheese comes from. I've eaten it from greasy diners to high end restaurants all over from Manhattan to L.A. and everything in between. And I've eaten all over the state. And what I'm going to tell you right now is going to blow your damn mind. So be ready. My favorite place to eat when I'm home. When it's my birthday, when it is a special event, when I'm celebrating something, I go to this Afghani restaurant in Bloomington called Samira. These fellows are, they are from Afghanistan. And it's the absolute, my favorite food on planet Earth. It's my favorite restaurant. And I get shrimp and chicken kebabs. And uh, first off, Middle Eastern food is probably my favorite anyway, right? But this stuff is a little bit different. It's got its own Afghani uh, twist. And the seasoning is, it's like almost, it leans almost a little bit more toward Indian food than, uh, say, Turkish food or something, right? So there's a little bit more spice and flavor than, say, even Turkish food, where Turkish food is spicy, but, you know, not quite as complex. 
And I just absolutely love it, man. And they, they have this really cool appetizer, the eggplant and carrot. That's my favorite order right there. That is it. And I love it. And I, and I know someone was like, listen, they're probably expect me to say some greasy spoon barbecue place, whatever. But, <laughs> but no, my favorite food is an Afghani restaurant called Samira in Bloomington, Indiana. And I think it might be the best restaurant on planet Earth. Wow. And you've been everywhere. That's high I've been everywhere. It's unbelievable, man. And it's not that expensive. I mean, it's not cheap, you know, but it's, but it's not like, it's not like high end, you know, like, you know, super expensive seafood steakhouse kind of food. You know what I mean? It's reasonable. I mean, it's, you're going to pay a couple bucks more than you did at Applebee's or something, you know? I mean, it's, it's incredible. And every, everything there is like super clean. The service is great. It's one of those places where, you know, there is a, a white tablecloth on the table, right? But if I go in there and I'm in my overalls, I'm not going to feel weird about it, you know? <laughs> so it's, how do I put it? It's not prohibitively expensive. Yeah, it's not, it's not like so expensive. At Samira, you're not going to spend 50 bucks a person unless you're like going heavy into the wine or something. <laughs> gotcha. Question number four. What are you curious about? What am I curious about? Man, here's another one that's going to blow your mind. We live in a very strange time right now, right? And I mean, I'm curious about everything, right? So don't get me wrong. Uh, this is just a crazy one. This is one that's been on my mind lately because I've been talking on a, a, another podcast uh, about this. And right now, we have the United States government releasing all of these videos where they are confirming that they have aircraft flying around in our airspace that they have no idea what they are or how they're able to essentially defy the known laws of physics. And we have, you know, strange things. Like, I don't know if you follow this. The year's been so crazy. Some of these stories have been like sort of almost like buried by the coronavirus and, and politics and everything else. But, there's been some strange things. So on top of the government releasing a bunch of videos of, of this, in one of the stimulus bills, by June, the government has to release a ton of, of UFO information. It's required. It's literally in one of the stimulus bills that they have to do this. Now, why was that put in one of the stimulus bills? I have no idea, but it was. And another thing is, is the head of the Israeli defense ministry for 30 years for 30 years he was head of israel's defense ministry so he is the top essentially the top military man in israel for 30 years is writing a book the book is out he's released it he says that not only has our government been communicating with aliens and, and people from other planets but not just one but an entire federation of aliens and that some of them want us to be sort of you know, debriefed and, and, and brought into this federation. But some of them believe that we aren't ready yet. We are too, we are too primitive, too far behind, too violent. And he says, not only do, do, does Israel know about it, but so does America and so does several other countries that they've been communicating with them for decades. I am curious about that because that is so mind-blowing and so interesting that I would like to know what's really going on. I mean, if nothing else, the fact that our government has admitted that these craft are defying physics, like that's scary because what if it's Russia? What if it's China, right? Right. I mean, it's not just aliens. They're just saying there's craft flying around. They don't, they, they don't know who's in it. Or at least they, they, they've, that's what they've said in their videos. You know, that, that, then there's other people like this fellow, Haim Ashed, who is the, the, was the head of the defense ministry of his, for Israel for 30 years, who's saying that, no, branch, some branches of our government do know exactly what they are. That is fascinating to me, and I'm amazed that more people aren't fascinated by it and curious about it, because on on one level it's like okay, well, from a just a straight defense standpoint, it's frightening to think that China or Russia or some other country has aircraft that can do things that would absolutely could destroy us. The other aspect of that is if there are aliens, if there maybe there's a federation of them, maybe there's you know what what if they're able to move about our universe in that way. You know, they obviously know things about our universe that we don't, right? I would, the thing I want them to answer, and it, it has nothing to do with, with science, space travel, or like any of it. 
I want to know what they know about what this all means. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if they if they're able to know if they're able to travel about like that, maybe they know more about that. And that's the thing I'm most curious about. And full disclosure, I with my own eyes have seen craft fly in ways that defy our known laws of physics. You know, you know me, I'm 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 not a drinker. I don't I don't use drugs. I was sober as anybody can be one night catfishing over this lake in a kind of a remote area in Brown County. I watched these aircraft fly in ways that nothing is supposed to be able to do. And I was with a couple of guys who they were drinking moonshine hard. So they're, they're <laughs> started to corroborate my story. But I said to them, I said, they, you know, they, they were all going, man, those are amazing. I go, no, 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 no. That's not amazing. I said, what you're seeing, our aircraft defy our known laws of physics. I said, we are not supposed to be seeing this. And I don't know what this is. I don't know if it's something, some military thing that has, you know, flown from Atterbury over to where we're at. I don't know if it's drones. It, it was no like swamp gas. I can tell you that much. We watched it forever. <laughs> and it was more than one. It was more than one craft. And it could do amazing things and could fly at speeds that almost made it seem like it could just instantly go from one side of the sky to the other. It was absolutely incredible. And straight up, straight down, diagonal, over, fast, up, down, sideways, left, right. I mean, it's just unbelievable the way the thing could move. And then would hover, would sit, you know. And it was far enough away we couldn't make out any shape because it was night. It was just a light. But it definitely was a light. You know, it was, it was lit up. It was very strange. So that's, that's part of the reason why I think that this fascinates me is that I myself have seen, you know, objects fly that there was absolutely no way that I could explain. Wow. <laughs> I told you, I told you it was going to be nuts. Yeah. You, you, that was, that was an accurate statement. <laughs> Question number five. Is there anything I should have asked, but didn't? I'm not sure, buddy. You know, I'll tell you a funny story. So we have this video out called Ways and Means. And I'll talk about this music video because I like talking about our music videos because for whatever reason, we are really good at making music videos. Now, I don't know why we are. You know, maybe it's just like I, I have these great ideas and, you know, like I just love music videos. I mean, when I was a kid, you know, I was born in, in 81. So when, I, when I'm a kid, you can see all kinds of videos still on MTV and VH1 back then. I just loved them. I loved music videos. I could sit and watch music videos for music I didn't like. You know, it didn't matter. I loved watching music videos. I always have. So I think part of me just loves making them. And for this video, Ways and Means, we had to make a video, but we, we could only gather 10 people up at a time. And that's band, crew, dancers, whatever, right? We couldn't get very many people together. So we also don't have any budget for these sorts of things. We just don't. We don't have a ton of money we can throw at them. I mean, they they don't really make us money. They go on YouTube, and the way our you know like record deals work, the digital distribution company instantly takes control of the video, and I am, you know, I don't even get to monetize it. You know, so it just goes it just goes away. We just do it mainly to get our music out. But I had this idea, you know, and I told everyone I said our next uh, video is going to be in the laundromat, and they're like a laundromat. I'm like, yes, a laundromat. And they're like, that sounds like the most boring video ever. And I'm like, no, 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 no. It's not going to be boring. It's going to be awesome. So I go to the little laundromat here in Brown County. And it's like a uh, very tiny little laundromat. But I talked to the person that was the manager there. She's like in there cleaning like twice a week or something. And she said, well, you got to talk to the owners. So I talked to the owners. I said, hey, you know, we were thinking about someone that's music being on a laundromat. Curious, uh, you know. If, and they said, well, look, we would love for you to use our laundromat. But. We have another one in Bloomington that you need to look at because we think it might be just a little bit more what you're looking for. It looks like you have walked back in time to the mid seventies. Everything in there is just straight from the seventies. So it's like, Oh my goodness. All right. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, let's go look at it. So we went over and looked at it and it was, it looked like a movie set. It looked like someone had taken my brain and what I wanted a laundromat to look like for the video and just completely created a set wow. from, it was just crazy, That's you know? Awesome. So, so like what it was was those 1970s style laundromats that I remember from the eighties being a kid 
because you know, I was in laundromats that were everything's kind of you know old. So it's not 80s, it's 70s. That's what I remember when I was a kid. You know, I always say it about like like cars. Like I, I have nostalgia for 70s cars, even though I was born in the 80s, because everybody I knew was driving 70s cars because they couldn't afford them new 80s cars. You know what I mean? Right. That's, that's kind of what my childhood. That's how I remember. So we've got the location. So I told everyone, everyone's gonna be wearing the same thing. We're gonna match the colors to the to the tables and the stuff that's in this laundromat. This weird. You know, kind of like avocado green and, and uh, this canary yellow color. What else? And I said, well, I said, the, the problem is, you know, is I, I need the front of the dryers to spin with this pinwheel design I made. And they're like, well, pinwheel design? What are you talking about? I said, yeah, I got this pinwheel design, but I need the front of the dryers to spin. So my buddy Jim, if, if you've ever seen our video for We Deserve a Happy Ending, where, where the, the, the fella comes out of our front door completely engulfed in flames. Yeah. That's that's my buddy Jim. For the people listening, Jim is a is a, an amazing person. He's the kind of friend that would let you set him on fire in a music video, you know. Which <laughs> is a good friend. The best kind. Yeah, that's a pretty good friend. So, and it's not special effects. We literally set him on fire. It was completely dangerous. It was uh the in fact I, I tried to talk to some Hollywood stuntmen to do that, and uh, no one like some. I was going seriously. I was like, maybe I'll invest some money, try to fly me out here, do it, and no one would even do it. They're like, no way, dude. We don't get set on fire like. No, no one wanted to do it. They're like, throw me out of a plane, throw me out of a building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm not going to throw on fire. That's the most dangerous stunt. So I told Jim, like, man, you know, I think I got, you know, I got this idea, man, but I need to set someone on fire. You can set me on fire. Like, yeah, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, so I told Jim, I go, Jim, man, I go, I got to make these dryer fronts spin. He goes, I know how to make them spin. He's like, let me order some stuff on Amazon. I'll get them spinning. So he made these little motors, man, to go on the back of these. We, we printed them out on foam core. You know, 3M taped them to the front of the of the dryers, and then he made these little things. You had to kind of – they ran batteries. You had to kind of get them started like an old-fashioned airplane. But, my God, they, they spun – it was perfect. It looked – I mean, it looks like – some people ask me what kind of special effects we use. He said, no special effects, buddy. That thing's just spinning. That's a real thing that we put it on there. I told uh, my buddy Tyler, who was shooting the thing, I said, okay, I want the first few seconds to be like a Jason Statham movie real fast. Boom, boom, boom. I said, then I want a Martin Scorsese style walkthrough scene. And I said, then when the music starts, I want it to be like Quentin Tarantino directs a Katy Perry video. <laughs> wow, that's an interesting concept. And all that sounds so completely bizarre, but but watch it. Everyone listening, go watch our video, Ways and Means, and tell me if it doesn't look like the first few seconds of the Jason Statham movie, then. It's a Martin Scorsese style walkthrough, and then it looks like Quentin Tarantino directed a Katy Perry video. And if you if if it if it doesn't look exactly like that, I well, it does. That's exactly what it looks like. Go watch it. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it, it's kind of funny. That's where my brain works. Like that song, I was like, it, as soon as I wanted a video for that song, instantly I'm like, oh, I need to do a video on Laundromat. And and everything that happens in that video was straight out of my strange brain, man. I don't know how I what makes me think of these things or, or whatever, but we have a video for a song called dirty hustling that when uh, this podcast goes up, is going to be out and it is crazy. I, I think it might actually, it's going to bother some people. It, it shouldn't, but I think that it will. And I'm kind of curious to see what happens. So when this is up, everyone needs to go see, watch the dirty hustling video and, and, and wait for it. It's not going to bother you at the start. It's the climax of the video. Wait and see if you think it like what happens. See if you think it, it uh, you know, see if you were disturbed by it or if you thought it was hilarious. I, it, to me, it's hilarious, but some people may not like it. I can't wait. <laughs> Question number six If you could create a new holiday, what would it commemorate? Oh man! Wow, this is a great one. You know, you know what, man? I know what I would I would create. I think we need some kind of holiday that is. We need some way to honor Frederick Douglass, and I don't know if it if it would be a, a whole holiday, but Frederick Douglass is one of the most Im important, inspiring and amazing figures in all of American history. And I think if more people read his autobiography, we would live in a better society. I think if 
he was on our money and uh, instead of some of the uh, the jackasses that are on our money, I think that we would have a better society. He is someone that we that our we, we should our children should revere, that we as a society should revere. There should be statues of him up in places. Frederick Douglass, there should be a Frederick Douglass holiday of some kind. What about him inspires you so? All right. So Frederick Douglass, you know, you go back. Frederick Douglass was born a slave, right? Right. Born a slave. He teaches himself to read. Slaves weren't allowed to read. Some guys didn't want them to read because they knew that if they were to educate themselves, they, they could work toward freeing themselves. So they wanted to try to keep them, you know, illiterate so they couldn't help themselves in any way, you know, in, in every way. The slaves weren't allowed to wear regular clothes. That's one thing people don't know. They weren't allowed to wear regular clothes. They had to, they had to wear, a, it was like almost like a sack most of the time. And it was so you could tell when someone was a slave from a regular person. If you said, hey, go to town and get me this or that or the other, right? They made sure that they were kept down in that way. So Frederick Douglass, he learns how to read. Then on the sly, he starts teaching other people to read. He starts these secret classes. He's teaching people how to read, giving people knowledge, right? Then, then he escapes. You know, he, he frees himself, essentially, you know, which, is, which was a scary thing to do because you risk death and, and, or, 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 or torture, then death, or just torture. You know, it was not a thing where it's like, oh, man, you know, you shouldn't be escaping. That was a pretty bad thing to do. We didn't like that. No, that wasn't what happened. You know, it was shoot on sight, whipped to death, beat to death, God knows what. It made an example of that kind of thing, right? So he escapes. And uh, he goes on after he is able to escape. He he becomes a full-on abolitionist, right? So instead of just like, he could have went to Canada and hit out. He could have said, man, I'm free. This is is great. I'm going to lay low. He didn't lay low. He did the absolute opposite. He just spoke out against what was this, you know, horrendous thing. This horrendous, you know, I don't know what you even call it. I mean, it's just, a, you know, the, the idea that you own other people and can do whatever the hell you want with them. It's sick, right? So he spoke out. He couldn't, he couldn't just, you know, be like, well, man, I got my freedom. I'm, I'm cool. You know, I'm going to hide out. He risked, uh, you know, being captured and taken back. He risked, you know, being killed because there were people that would, you know, come in and kill you in the middle of the night for speaking out. He goes on, you know, then he, he, he starts writing books. He writes the, his autobiography, The Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass. He writes this, publishes this book. And, I mean, the book is so eloquent. And, I mean, it's, it's, hard, it's, it's hard to say it's beautiful because the story is a little, is a little bit dark at times, right? But it's, it's beautiful. The writing is unbelievable. You, you think there are people that have gone, you know, spent their whole lives in school and then go to some, you know, great, you know, go to Oxford and learn to, to just read and write English language, you know, and study under the masters and all this stuff. He, he, he was self-taught and he ends up writing what I think is the greatest autobiography of all time. All right. Wow. Then he starts traveling. He does all kinds of stuff. He travels, travels to Ireland, travels to England. He's uh, he has to fight with uh, his his ex owner who tries to get him back. Like there's all kinds of stuff, right? I mean, it's just uh, it's amazing. Well, then he ends up working in in, in government, you know. And through the, throughout the Civil War, he, he's he's he, you know he's a, he's a leader. After the Civil War, he ends up in government. You know, this is a, I mean, it's just, a, it's amazing. You know, the way, the way this guy was able to to come up from, I mean, less than nothing, right? When you're, when you're a slave, you don't start at zero, man. You're, you're less than, than zero. You know, it, you start at nothing. Here's a guy that, that under the absolute worst conditions that you can ever imagine, he was able to, to fight through. And instead of just hiding out, which is what, most of us would have done. He refused. He risked everything to speak out against it and try to free other people. And through his eloquent words, 
he did maybe more to advance the abolitionist movement than anybody else. Lincoln gets a lot of credit for, uh, for, for, you know, ending slavery. But if, when you go back and you look at the history, hardly anybody did more to sway the sentiment of people against slavery than Frederick Douglass. And he did it because when you heard him speak, you, he was just so eloquent. When you read his words, it was, it was, it was beautiful prose. You know, you couldn't deny that Frederick Douglass was a man because Frederick Douglass was a great man, one of the greatest uh, in the history of this country. He was a giant, an absolute giant among men. I think Frederick Douglass should be on our money. That's what I think. How would you like to f- us to find you on the Internet? All right. Well, you can very conveniently find my music and everything I do at all of your favorite social media sites from Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, you name it. And it's all at Big Damn Band, except for YouTube, which is Big Damn Band official because some jerk took Big Damn Band from it. So uh, we try to get it, but it's just Big Damn Band official is our YouTube. So it's really easy to find. If you, if you forget that, just go to BigDamnBand.com, B-I-G-D-A-M-N-B-A-N-D.com, and you can click over to uh, – all of your favorite social media sites. You can check out our videos. You can check out pictures. You can listen to us on Spotify or wherever you like listening to music. Title, Spotify, iTunes. <sighs> Rev, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, man, no problem. Sorry, sorry there was all that stuff in the beginning, but I think it's turned out pretty good. I do too. And if you agree or... Yeah, you know what? If you agree, please, 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 please. I haven't done this in a while. Please, 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 please go to your podcast app and leave a review. Subscribe and leave a five-star rating, a five-star rating, a five-star rating. If you could do that, that'd be awesome. Appreciate you. And so, until next time. See it, hear it, speak it, live.